We're going to look at verses um, 12 through, through uh, 15. But before I get there, I want to give you a little bit of background to the book of 2 Timothy. This was written by the Apostle Paul while he was in prison, and he was looking at the end of his life. He was going to be, he was going to be martyred. He was going to be killed. And, and he's, he's reflecting on his life. He's reflecting on his ministry. He's re- reflecting on those he's discipled, on, on those he loves. And in Timothy, uh, among them, he writes Timothy, Timothy this letter to give him instructions and to remind him of the important things. To say one last time, hey, Timothy, I'm on my way out. And in case we don't see each other, you know, good morning, good afternoon, and good night. That's the Truman Show. That's not Timothy. These are the values. Don't be ashamed of God. Don't be, a, don't, don't be ashamed of the gospel. I remember you in my tears. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. I'm reminded of your mother and your grandmother who brought you up in faith. I know this faith dwells in you. Fan into flame the gift of God, Timothy. When I'm gone, don't let this fall away. When I'm gone, don't forget. Don't walk away. Don't quit on God just because I'm gone. The greatest hope is that you'll continue in your faith even when the people who, who led you into faith are gone. It's not just mom and dad's faith. It's not just pastor's faith, but it's your faith. It's your own expression. Timothy, lay hold of this. Grab onto it. Don't be ashamed about the testimony of our Lord that he died a criminal's death. Don't be ashamed about the testimony that Jesus is God. You know, it's, it's one thing to have a conversation generally about God. Right? You can, you can have a water cooler conversation about God and everybody's really comfortable with it. But that Jesus is God. That's where it gets really awkward, doesn't it? Like even here in the room right now, I feel like it got a little bit awkward because you're like, oh! That's the distinctive of Christianity, that Jesus is Lord. He's King. He's ruler. He is God. We worship this God who is a trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're the same substance. There's nothing that one is that the others aren't, but they're not the the same thing. Right? It's this mystery that's been revealed to us that we cherish and we celebrate and we find life and purpose and meaning in. But the name of Jesus separates separates Christianity from everything else. And, And he's like, don't be ashamed of Jesus. You don't have to speak just generically about God to satisfy everybody, but don't be ashamed. Don't hide the name of Jesus. And so then he, then he continues, and we'll jump in here at verse 12. Uh, he's talking about, then he, he talks about how Jesus was manifested. He abolished death. He gave us immortality uh, to all who believe in him through, through his death, burial, and resurrection. And he's saying, I am appointed a preacher, an apostle of these things. In verse 12, he says, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I've believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. This is God's word to us. Father, help us today to understand what it looks like to be, to be your man, to be your woman, to be your people. Help us to walk into everything that you desire for us. For your glory in Jesus' name, amen.
So we see this, we see in these, these three verses a process that, uh, that I want to, I want to highlight today. Um, and, and we're, we're, I'm going to make it into four steps. We're going to talk about, uh, getting convinced, giving it to God, following the pattern and guarding the treasure. If you want to be, be or do something significant for God or have a significant or meaningful, uh, impact on the world. This is a process that we can take every single thing through. If it's, if your heart's desire is to be a a great father, a great mother, this is a process that God wants to bring you through. If you want to be a great business leader, this is a process that, that you can, that you can apply to it with the caveat that just because we go through this process doesn't mean we're going to get exactly what we want. Because a very real part of this process is going to be surrendering all of those things up to God and letting him letting him take it. It's trusting him with the results. And so, you know, anytime that we, we preach a message on leadership development, it's easy for the cart to get ahead of the horse and we start thinking about leadership development and we lose sight of Christ or we lose sight of God's grander purpose and, and the emphasis starts to become on us. Oh yeah, I'm going to be a, a great leader and instead of remembering that God is the greatest leader, and I just, I just want to follow him and kind of whatever comes out of me after that is, is going to be satisfactory to me. So the first, in verse 12, he says, uh, I, I suffer these things because the gospel's worth it. Because he died and rose from that. He suffered for me. I'm, I consider it to be a, a, a pleasure. I consider it to be a privilege to suffer for him. He said, I'm not ashamed in whom I've, in, in, I, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to, to guard. We need to be convinced, completely persuaded in our hearts who God is. We can't, this, this casual kind of approach to Christianity is not going to cut it anymore. There was a long time in our, in our culture in the United States where you could casually be a Christian and kind of float through and get by and you'd be able to just kind of swim with the school and you would be, you'd be okay. But that time is gone. And the things that we believe are being challenged. The things that we believe are being lied about. The things that we believe are being uh, caricaturized. And, 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 and they're, being, they're being reshaped by people who don't believe. And, and people are saying it's one thing when it's, when it's really a, another thing altogether. We need to know who Jesus Christ is. We need to be absolutely persuaded about his life, about his death, and about his resurrection. We need to ask these questions instead of just casually wondering if it's true and and casually accepting whether or not it's true because everything that we believe about God hinges on that resurrection. I, um, you know, I, I, I take the whole Bible literally because Jesus took the Bible literally, right? So, you know, in, in, in Jonah, you know, people are like, did he really get swallowed by a fish or a whale or something? Did he really get thrown up? Did he really go and prophesy? Did these things really happen? Well, Jesus quotes it as having really happened, so I'm going to take it. Uh, C.S. Lewis came up with these three options about Jesus. He's either Lord, he's liar, or he's a lunatic. And, and I love this outline, and I, I wasn't planning on it, but I want to I describe these to you in case it's helpful to you. That basically, every, every religion acknowledges Jesus as a good and moral teacher. They're like, this guy is from God. Even, even, even religions that would appear on the surface to, to hate Christianity or, or they do hate Christianity, everybody, nope, rarely do people hate Jesus, right? They tend to hate the church. They tend to hate 
his people. They tend to hate his bride. They tend to hate uh, other things. But everybody acknowledges that he's a good moral teacher and that he's a great man. Here's the problem. As C.S. Lewis puts it, that, that if he's a great moral teacher and he told everybody that they would find life and meaning and truth in him and him only, either that's the truth or he's a liar. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I and the Father are one. Which to all of the hearers at that time was the same as making a declaration that I am God. And so if him as a good moral and truthful teacher was telling people that he's God and they can find salvation in him him and only him, he's actually not a good teacher. He's a liar. Or if he's not a liar, he's a lunatic because he really believes that he's God. If I made a claim to be God, you'd be like, he's crazy. (laughs) He's insane. Somebody who's, who has those kind of psychological issues wouldn't be able to, to garner the following that he garnered. People, wouldn't, people aren't going to die for somebody who's telling a, a, a lie. Uh, uh, who's the guy, Chuck Colson, who is a prison fellowship? He said the thing that persuaded him uh, about, about the, the, the testimony of the disciples and the apostles about the resurrection of Jesus is that he was, uh, Chuck Colson was involved in the Watergate scandal. He said it only took a little bit of pressure to get everybody to start, start fessing up and wheeling and dealing and trying to get out of it. He's like, because if something's a lie, people want to get out of it. They want to separate themselves from it as quickly as possible and preserve themselves. But these, these disciples were all willing to die gruesome deaths for what they believe had happened. And so, so maybe Jesus was a lunatic. But then would a lunatic really be a good moral teacher? Would a, would, a, would a lunatic really be a, a, a clear, would he lay out a clear moral framework that's used by much of the world as, as guidelines for uh, a, having a good life or at least having a reasonable community? So, so the other opportunity, the other option is that he is Lord. He is who he said he is and that it's true and what he said is true and that he really did what he said he would do and he's going to do what he said he would do. And there's no deception in him. There's no untruth in him. There's no lie in him. But he really is God. After all, that's what he taught about himself. We need to be convinced of this. And if you have struggles, I I would ask you, don't, don't struggle on your own. Jump in on your own. Nobody can struggle for you. Nobody can wrestle for you. Acknowledge what those questions are. I remember I was a, I was a freshman in college and somebody came up to me and they said, you only believe the Bible because that's what you grew up being taught. I was like, you're right. (laughs) Thanks for that. But that night I couldn't shake, I I couldn't shake that conversation. And I was like, I wonder, I wonder how different things would be. And I sat down in front of the Bible and I said, God, show me if this is true. I started going through it and trying to read it with fresh eyes and fresh perspective, asking questions, asking the hard questions, talking to Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists and, and really wrestling and trying to figure out, is this true? Can this hold water? And it can. But it took wrestling and it took asking my, my friends and pastors and, and, and leaders in the church for help and saying, hey, what about this question? What about that question? What about, what about this? I'm, I'm not persuaded here. How does this work with this? And does this really, is this really coherent? 
But I would encourage you, you to be convinced you're going to have to answer questions that, that you've maybe laid aside or been uncomfortable asking. I, I want to I promise you something today, that God's word is going to stand up to honest interrogation. To honest intellectual challenges. It will stand up and you will find the truth in it. You don't have to worry that, that you're going to uncover something that, that has, has evaded thousands of years of scholarship. <laughs> you know, but what about the contradictions? Name one. Let's talk about it. You know, one of the things I love about the Bible is that it keeps the things that appear as contradictions in it. If the Bible, if Christianity had something to hide, if we had something to be embarrassed about, we would have just ripped the page out like a long time ago. It would have been that easy. Right? Oh, we lost the manuscript. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> I know I was responsible for guarding it, but, uh, you know, it's gone. It wouldn't have been a hard thing to do. It was a much harder thing to do to preserve the things that appear as contradictions. It was a harder thing to do to preserve the things that, that would allow us to ask questions and be challenged and be like, so is it by faith or is it by works? Paul is saying by grace and through faith, and James seems to be saying faith without works is dead. That, that's, that's contradiction. It's not true. So Jesus must not have risen from the dead. Well, that's not very good logic. But on the, on the one hand, maybe it's true he rose from the dead, but the two guys are confused. Or they're, com- they're, they're agreeable. Yeah. Or it's both. And there's this relationship where we believe by grace and through faith and we were saved by grace and through faith and it produces works of, uh, it produces good works in and through us. So we need to be convinced. You need to, you need to press in and get convinced. If you're not convinced, press in. If you've got doubts, ask the question. Ask God, God, teach me, show me if this is real. Ask the people in the room. Ask the person down the road. Hey, can you help me figure this out? And if you, if you don't have an answer, say, I don't know. Let's go find somebody else and just start up a whole parade. You know, until you find somebody who can give a satisfactory answer and knows the word well enough to give the answer. And if it's really hard, I'll just have Pastor Eddie answer it. <laughs> like a good leader, I will have him do it. <laughs> we need to be persuaded who God is and that his love will not fail, that he will guard and keep you. He will guard and keep his truth as he has from the very beginning of time. Since before time, which is one of a a horizontal constraint, outside of time, he existed. So it's not like he's held on to truth for all of time. He's held on to truth for eternity. From before the beginning that we know about. He's held on to that and he's guarded it and he will continue to do it. So it's faith in who he is, being convinced in who he is and that he will guard and he will protect and he will bring it all the way to to completion. As we do this, this interesting thing is going to happen. As you're more persuaded, more convinced in who he is and you more allow him to guard and protect the testimony of who he is and what he wants to do. He's going to start putting desires and hopes and dreams in your heart that weren't yours to begin with. Right? He's going to start giving you ideas that weren't your ideas. They're his ideas. He's going to start giving you dreams that weren't your initial dream. They become your dream, but it, but it comes from him. It's his dream. Uh, Psalm 37 talks about this. Uh, Psalm 37 
verse 4. It talks about this. He says, um, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, you could read it a couple different ways. You could say, if you delight yourself in God, he'll give you the things that you want. That didn't happen to me. And I'm so grateful for that. You can also understand it to mean delight yourself in God and he will give you desires. He will give you the desires of your heart. He will give you desires. And what's cool about his desires are those, those are the desires that he satisfies. So he's like, I'm going to give you desires and then I'm going to give you the desires. Whatever, figure it out. That's not even the point. So we got to keep moving. So he's going to give you these desires. And, and now that you've got these desires, now that you've got these hopes, now that you have this conviction that he is who he says he is and he'll do what he said he would do, we've got to give it all back to him. <laughs> it's terrifying, isn't it? It's like, I know I'm called to be a great father. I know I'm called to be a great businessman. I know I'm called to be whatever it is. Fill in the blank. Whatever it is that you're certain that God has created you to be. And now you've got to give it back to him. Because he's going to take you on a path that you wouldn't take yourself on to become who he wants you to become. It's like, okay, I'm going to be... I I, I saw something earlier this week that said, there exists at this moment a strategy to turn $5 into a million dollars in 24 hours. I just don't know what it is. But it exists. It's possible. We could turn five bucks into a million bucks, JC, if we just knew... But God keeps that secret from me. (laughs) I have ideas why. (laughs) But we've got to give it over to him. I'm not going to make myself into the great businessman. I can't make myself into a great father. I can't make my children into great young men and women of God. I cannot make uh, anybody into something of my own strength and power and, and, and effectiveness, right? But God can That's why we do baby dedications because we're saying we intend to raise our child in a Christian way and that they're going to be, they're going to grow up to be world changers and and they're, they're going to advance the kingdom of God and everything that they do and through their lives. And so, but if that's going to happen, God, you're going to have to do it because I'm a mess. We dedicate our children to God. We're saying, God, you're going to have to do this. I'm committing to, to do the best I can absolutely do, but God, you're, you're responsible for the results. The reality is he's responsible for the results anyway. It's just surrender. It's acknowledging and surrendering the limit of our own power and effectiveness. Paul was trusting God with his doctrine, with his life, with his ministry. Paul was trusting God with the testimony of the resurrection. He was trusting. Paul was trusting God with Timothy. Paul was trusting God with the various churches that Paul had started on his missionary journeys. Paul was trusting God with the lives of the disciples who who were under threat of death for their belief in Jesus. Paul had handed all of those things over. What is it that you need to hand over to God and then trust him with? What's the thing that you want to see happen so badly that you've got white knuckle grip around it because you think that you're the one that has to make it happen? If this dream is conceived by God, he'll bring it to pass. 
If it comes out of the outflow of the conviction that he is who he says he is, he's not going to fail to accomplish what he said he would do. What are those things that we need to give to God and say, God, take this. I believe you've got this dream. I believe this dream came from you, but you're going to have to bring its results to to pass. After we've given it to God, we need to follow the pattern. To follow the pattern, we need to first be teachable. What pattern do you follow? Well, it's the pattern that Timothy was taught. It was the pattern that Timothy was taught by Paul. And he's saying, he's saying, follow that pattern. Don't stray from this. Remain in this pattern that I've, that I've told you about. Remain in this thing. Don't stray. Don't try and make it up. You know, there's a time to make things up and there's a, there's a time to follow what's already been done. And wisdom is oftentimes just knowing the difference between the two. Now is the time to trailblaze. Now is the time to follow the path that's been cut. And Paul's saying, for your doctrine, for your life, for your ministry, follow the path that was cut. And as he followed the path that was cut for him, it was going to require him to also to, to carve out new paths in different ways. But that was already established and handed to him. And Paul's saying, follow this. Are you teachable? Are you letting someone, are you letting people, are you letting God, are you allowing the word to show you the pattern? It's not the pattern of Timothy's own creation. I'm thankful for the pattern that I've been taught, the the pattern from my parents and the pattern from Pastor Brett, from Pastor Duke. I'm so grateful for that pattern. And and, and even now, they they still look at it and they're like, "Uh, you're off pattern. Get back in the pattern. You're coloring outside of the lines, David. (laughs) Get back in the lines. The picture's really a lot prettier when you stay in the lines. I'm like, but I'm creative. (laughs) Just following the inspiration. Get in the lines. (laughs) Where he's responsible... Where God is responsible for the outcome, we're responsible for our obedience. We're responsible to follow the pattern of God as as taught in the word. We're responsible to surrender to his will and to his purpose as described in the Bible. That's our responsibility. His responsibility is the outcome. And I want his outcome a lot more than I want mine. I mean... I think about the things that I've wanted and I think about the things that I've pursued and I'm so glad I didn't get the outcome that I was gunning for. There was this house that Megan and I looked at way back in 2008, right before everything crashed. And we were like, we've got to get into a house. We're never going to be able to afford one. The prices are skyrocketing and we're just, we're going to be without it. And I don't remember the name of the street. It was Bird Something Street. And we went into this house and it was, it was really weird mirrors everywhere and that foam like that's like it's 20 feet tall they the people had made it their perfect home for something weird <laughs> you know like for a haunted house or something it was strange it was it was really bizarre and they had like busted jacuzzi and it's like mildewed glass inside it it was it was like well at least there's a jacuzzi let's we should do this and we wanted it so bad and I'm so glad that didn't happen because I have cancer right now. 
thank God he didn't give that to me. I remember praying in my parents' kitchen, crying out to God one, one, one day and just being like, God, I want to marry that woman. I know she's the one that you have for me. And this is where it got risky. I was like, even if you've got better for me, I don't want it because she's great. And I love her. And I want her. What kind of prayer is that, first of all? It was honest. At least I was honest. A for effort. And God's like, you are foolish. And you admitted it in your prayer. And the answer is no. <laughs> Thank God. Because I... Never mind. I was... Thank you, Jesus. There's this, there's this country song, Thank God for un, Unanswered Prayers. I don't believe in unanswered prayers. I believe in no answers to prayers. Like, not a non-answer, but he says no. He's like, I hear you, but champ, no. <laughs> you are being foolish. <laughs> got to follow the path. But we got to follow it a certain way. We can't just follow it and be teachable just any old way. We can't just come at it the way that we want to come at it. We need to be in faith and in love, in the, in the faith and in love of Christ. And so it, it's this faith, it comes back to this certainty, being absolutely certain and convinced and persuaded about who he is. And, and when the information on the surface violates what we feel or, or what we know to be true, we've got to go with what we know to be true over what we, what we see on the surface or what we, we feel in that moment. Right? You, it's like it's, we, we just we follow our emotions all over the place. And emotions are supposed to be a good indicator. It's supposed to be really helpful of what's going on in your soul. Kind of like, like a check engine light. It's not supposed to be the GPS. Amen. Right? But we treat our emotions like our GPS. And we treat the truth like, the, like a suggestion. When our emotions go off, check engine light. Hey, I'm really angry right now. I, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be at this church anymore. I don't want to be with friends with that person anymore. I don't want to be in that small group. I don't want to, I don't want to serve anymore because somebody said something cross or they honked at me in the parking lot. That's not God leading you. That's your emotions telling you that something's wrong. And, and when you go to God with that and you're like, hey, my check engine light's on, I'm angry. He's going to be like, well, let's start with you. And you're going to be like, no, let's start with that person that made me mad. I catch myself saying, I, I catch myself with my kids being like, y'all, I am getting angry. And the rest of the sentence is, and I'm going to yell. And, and, but like, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing myself now because I'm growing as a believer and as a man and as a dad. I'm like, I'm get, you're making, I'm getting angry. And I'm like, this is my problem. It's not their problem. Right? It's like, I'm getting angry and I'm going to make it your problem if you don't get right. And, and, you know, and I just feel like the Holy Spirit just yanking me back by the collar and be like, boy, if you had any idea about <laughs> what's really going on right now. And so I, I catch myself now being like, guys, I'm getting angry and I need to get right. And gosh, you're just being kids. And you're the ones that are supposed to be acting this way and I'm not supposed to be acting. And where did you learn to be so angry, kids? You know, <laughs> stop yelling at each other and be good. What are we, that's not the pattern. That one is not the pattern. That's a different page that we need to get rid of. But in faith, um, that he's going he's gonna to complete the good work that he started. And in love, 
the love that casts out all fear. Because there's going to be a time, even though God is going to bring it to completion, Christ will finish what he started. There will absolutely be moments where you panic because it doesn't look like he's going to do what he said he would do. You're going to panic because it looks like he's not going to be able to come through on it. You're going to panic because you're like, I, I apologized and I forgave and things are getting worse. I've been giving, I've been offering, I've been sacrificing, and now I've got this big bill I can't pay. And fear creeps in. The problem isn't the information. The problem is the fear. And perfect love casts out all fear. So you can see the information with proper perspective. So you can see the information with faith instead of dread. And when you see it with faith instead of dread, that bill becomes interesting. You're like, well, this will be cool to see how God deals with this. (laughs) I've said it before, but it might be eating rice and beans. Not a lot of amens on that, Andrew. <laughs> My wife and I discovered we owed a whole bunch of money to the IRS. And so we, we told them. We were like, we owe you a whole bunch of money. And some of it was past the years. It wasn't on purpose. But we were like, we better tell them because then I can't stand up and tell people to be honest if we don't do it, if nothing else, right? I wasn't actually preaching at the time, I guess, was I? I was just a janitor. Not just a janitor. That was as important. Honesty is important whether you're on stage or never going to see a microphone, right? So just whatever, you get it. Preach your own message right now to yourself. You got it. Good. All right, let's keep going. Right? And it was like, God's going God's to gonna have to do a miracle here. And some of the miracle was finances that came in from unexpected places. And the other half of the miracle was eating rice and beans and, and going on, on slurpy dates. Right? Our, our version of a date was hitting the McDonald's drive-thru and eating an ice cream sundae. It's like, that's all we could afford. And that was how we did the miracle. But if we're not in faith, if we're fearful, oh man, what's going to happen to my credit score? What's gonna, we're never going to be able to buy a house now. Should have bought that crusty house. Right? You're going to panic and you fear and you're like, now our kids aren't going to go to college and we're going to, we're going to never have anything and we're going to be homeless and our grandchildren aren't even going to be having food. Right? Because fear comes in and it gets all irrational and it messes you up. But faith allows you to go, God's going to have to do something amazing here. And we can see that it's numbers and we can see that God's provided before. He's going to provide again and, and he's going to provide in the future and we're going to run into more problems in the future. So just an aside, I'm, while I'm way off on a side, uh, something that we do and I would encourage you to do also is when we get bad news, we celebrate. It's the weirdest thing. So, but it, but it started when we found out, you know, Megan, we were looking at each other like, well, this is the end of our life. <laughs> God's going to do something. We don't know what, but it's going to take us many, many, many years to pay this off. And we're like, let's go out and celebrate. I mean, Jesus is still on the throne. He's alive. Nothing's really changed. We just know about the situation now. Like everything's exactly the same as it was an hour and a half ago. We just have, we just have some new information. So let's go celebrate that God's bigger than the new information that we've got. Right? Like the eternal plan, his eternal plan, nothing changed. That's what we do. And I really like nachos. (laughs) And that's most of our celebrations. Right? But we get bad news and we're like, let's just go celebrate. And so, uh, so anyway, try it. You, you might like it. 
Let me know if it doesn't work. I'll refund your nacho money. Uh, and then we got to guard the treasure through the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit, we must guard the treasure. The treasure is all the things I've been talking about. It's, it's the treasure of the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the treasure of our salvation. It's the treasure of our, or, or, of our eternal security. It's the treasure of our doctrine. It's the treasure of our faith. It's the treasure of our love. It's the treasure of our hope, of our joy. It's the treasure of one another. You're one of the treasures that I have to guard by the Holy Spirit. You to each other are the treasure that you've got to guard by the Holy Spirit. Our life is a treasure that we ought to guard by the power and the love and the faith that comes by the Holy Spirit. Because by myself, I get tired. I get tired of having enough faith. I get tired of standing. I get tired of believing. But I serve a God who doesn't tire. I serve a God who doesn't grow weary, who constantly pours out more and more love and more and more sustaining power to be able to guard these things. Guard the good deposit that's been entrusted to you. It's a stewardship. What you already know about God, what you already know about Jesus Christ, what you already know about what he's done in your life, what he desires to do, and what he's going to do in the life of those that you love and and those around you, that is a, a, a stewardship that we are responsible for and the Holy Spirit is pleased to guard. Father, we love you. We thank you for the reality of the resurrection this morning. That even now you are still at the right hand of God. You are living. You are alive. Your word is active. Your word is cutting our hearts and and doing surgery. Cutting off things that we don't need to believe anymore. Cutting off lies that we don't need to agree with anymore. And your truth is coming to us with fresh reality and perspective. Help us to be convinced of the reality of your love and your power and your your power to forgive sins and to give us a new life. Give us the courage to entrust you with your promises and to trust you with the results. Give us the faith and the love to follow the pattern that you've given us in the word and in the lives of men and women who have gone before us and modeled a life of faith. And God, help us to trust your Holy Spirit with all of, the, with all of this. In Jesus' name.